Welcome to We Have This Hope. I'm Emily Curzon, and this is a podcast about the art of remembering and the practice of telling. On the show, we share stories of hope, looking backward at the work of God in our ordinary lives. This show is for those who are low on hope, those who need to be reminded that God is with us, and those who have a story to tell. That means it's for all of us. We have this hope as an anchor for our souls, firm and secure. I'm so glad you're here. Today's episode is with my friend, Andrea Bubert. When I asked Andrea if she'd be on the podcast, she said something apprehensive and modest like, if you're sure, but I was. And I can tell you with full confidence that her story is beautiful and the wisdom that you'll hear along the way will speak for itself. Andrea shares God's work in each of the four decades of her life thus far, from what it looks like to be faithful in seasons of abundance and in seasons of unmet expectations, and what it looks like to choose to live the life you have. She's wise, she's lovely, and I'm so glad she let me twist her arm. So with that, please enjoy my conversation with Andrea Bubert. Today's guest is another friend and neighbor, which I was laughing about. It feels like everyone lives in this neighborhood. (laughs) But what I love about today's story is that it's really about the regular everydayness of God's movement in our lives. You're going to hear from my friend Andrea, who has a lot of wisdom and a lot of experience in ordinary faithfulness. And I think that's something that many of us can relate to. I know I certainly can. So with that, Andrea, welcome to We Have This Hope. I'm so glad to be here. I have never been on a podcast, so thanks for asking. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us what you've been up to today. That's what we'll start with. Okay. Well, we live in Tulsa, and it was a distance learning day for my district. I am a teaching and learning specialist for Jinx Public Schools. I've worked at Jinx, I think this is my 18th year. Sometimes I have to count. Most of that time has been at an intermediate school with fifth and sixth graders, which I just, I love 10 to 13 year olds. They're awkward and fun and one foot in childhood and one foot in adolescence. And so my day did not look like it normally does because I had some meetings that pivoted to Google Meets, some phone calls, some things that were virtual that would have been in person, but that's what my day looked like today. All right. Are you in a classroom? Do you pull students out? What What is a teaching and learning specialist to do? I have no idea. Sure. So I do not pull students. I primarily work with teachers. So my job is instructional support for all of our certified staff. So I coach new teachers. I mentor. I meet with all of our math and language arts and social studies and science teachers on a weekly or every other week basis to talk about like curriculum and student support Anything that has to do with um, student growth and helping teachers, um, teachers often explain it to kids like I'm a teacher for teachers. So I sit on our leadership team and kind of help guide things, but I'm not evaluative. So it's a really fun role because I get to coach and work with teachers and sometimes in an informal way can be a voice where they can come and talk and listen and 
most of my teaching experience has been with fourth and fifth grade, actually all of it. And so working with fifth and sixth grade teachers is a sweet spot for me. So, What a fun age. Truly, when you said 10 to 13 year olds, I was like, that so is. I mean, Ella, my Ella is nine on the edge of 10. She's really 10 in her mind. She's mm-hmm. got friends that are turning that age. And I love this stage. Yeah. I really do. They are, they're still, I feel like a little bit of innocence and there's still some pretend play happening Mm -hmm. but yet also like a little bit of maturity just like a tiny bit conversations with them they care deeply about important things I I love conversations I get to have with our our kids I love that Jinx keeps sixth graders as a part of the elementary we're considered elementary just a little bit longer they stay young just a little bit longer but it's really fun to get to see one step in childhood, one step in adolescence and see them transitioning into what it looks like to be a little more independent, to have more confidence, to come into their own a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. Well, Andrea, when we were talking about you being on the podcast, when I asked you, I think, is it fair to say you were like maybe a bit hesitant? Sure. I think hesitant and surprised. So I was like, I have a pretty, I think you said it in the intro, like just a pretty everyday kind of life with no major big moments. Although when I really start looking back, there are big moments that are formative for everybody. So I was like, well, Emily, if you want to hear my story, I'm happy to share. (laughs) But yes, a little hesitant. (laughs) I did talk to my sisters and a couple of friends who were like, no, you have to say yes. And I was like, okay, I have to say yes. Oh, yay. Okay. Well, when they are listening, I hope I'm going to say, and I'm not going to edit this part out. Thank you for making Andrea do it. <laughs> so, um, no, when we were talking on the phone, one of the things we, I think both can relate to is not really having a story of faith that is, I once was blind and now I see, for sure. but really that, uh, long obedience in the same direction that mm-hmm. our pastor and friend John talks about a lot. And I think that's a Eugene Peterson quote. But so what we decided to do with your story is, is to take a decades approach, (laughs) which is wild that we're old enough to do that. But hey, (laughs) so I want to ask you first to tell us a little bit about who you do life with right now. And then we'll jump into what it was like growing up for Andrea when you were a little girl, what was your family like, things like that. So let's start with who do you do life with now? Hi, I am married to Patrick. We have three dogs, no kids. We got married a little bit later in life, so that hasn't been part of our story. I Anybody who knows me will tell you aunt is one of my favorite roles, and so family is a lot of who we do life with. I have five sisters, which I'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. So I have nieces and nephews who are grown adults. Um, my niece Morgan and her husband James attend Cornerstone with us, which is really sweet to get to sit with them on Sunday mornings. And then My sisters, Cheryl and Jennifer, and their kids live within an hour and a half, and so we're together a lot. That's a huge part of who we do life with. I have a group of friends who we've, gosh, it doesn't feel like it's been over 15 years, but it really has been that we we do life together, and it looks different in different seasons. Now it's like lots of group texting and getting together once a month when we can all be in the same place, kids and families and jobs and kids' sports and all the things that go together with that. And then like we talked about, I I really do love my job. Being in public education is a passion of mine. It's ministry. I think it's really important. It doesn't mean it's easy to be in public education in Oklahoma. There are certainly challenging things, but I feel really blessed to work where I work with the team that I work with. I work with some incredible people who 
love kids, want to do right by them, who care deeply about trauma-informed practices, who look at the whole child. And it's great to get to work with people who see things the same way that you do. And some of these people I've been, like I said, this is my 18th year at Jinx and some of these people I've been working with for a long time. So I think that's the rhythm of, of who I do life with. And then there's a like outskirts, like I have an apprentice group of women that um, I love that we meet with every other week. And then people who are just kind of in my, in my church or my other community. Um, I'm not like the most social person, so it's small, <laughs> a smaller group. <laughs> I don't know about that. You just listed off a lot of folks. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm really happy to be at home with a book as much as I am happy to like go out to dinner with friends. So yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Well, tell us about your family growing up. You talked about five sisters, but paint a picture for what was life like for you as a little girl? And how did your family life shape your view of yourself in the world? Sure. So when I was five or six, I, I'm going to tell you this. I am not known to be a detailed person. I will probably get dates and years wrong when my family <laughs> listens to this. But when I was around five or six, my parents were 29. They had a five, three, and one-year-old, and we had a couple of girls who needed a place to stay. And so that introduced into my life my older sisters. They came when they were 15, 16, 18-ish and started as a safe place to stay. And then my parents became their formal guardians. And so our family expanded really, really quickly. And what my memories were really sweet, I'm sure for my older sisters and my parents, it was like a dramatic shift to have teenagers and be in your like late 20s and be parenting small children. But from my perspective, it was just great. <laughs> we had more people and more sisters. In fact, my brother-in-law, Lane, started dating my sister, Maureen, when they were 15, 16. So I've known him my whole life for the most part. I have a brother-in-law who's been around since I was six. So there's a sweetness to that that comes with a big family. The way that our family works, it doesn't really make sense if you look in a picture. We've got somebody in every decade. We've got little nieces and nephews. We've got I don't think anybody in their teens right now, but 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. So our immediate family hits the broad picture of that. Yeah, that's so yeah. cool. It really is. My parents are Jesus-loving people who I think said yes to an, an obedience to something that they didn't know what it was going to look like. And I mm -hmm. think that really did shape a lot of my yeses moving forward. They love the Lord. I grew up in a faith-based home. I was thinking about this after you and I talked yesterday. My parents, small group of adults who were friends when we were little, are all still friends. So that is wow. 40 years of living life together. And when I think about you and your friends who are like raising kids together or my sisters and their friends who are raising kids together, I think what a sweet thing it was for me in some ways. I didn't love it when I was in high school and felt like there were like six sets of parents looking out for me. <laughs> like everybody had an eye. But I, I do think that was modeled really well. Community was modeled really well for us. When we were younger, we grew up going to people's houses for small groups. Before that was a thing, like it was the 80s. Yeah. I don't know how much of that was like a thing, but for sure, Sunday school and later youth group. My dad worked a pretty intense job, but when he was home, he was really present with us. I, he grew up with a brother. I think there were days when he probably did not know what to do with six girls plus a wife. <laughs> I do wow, yeah. a lot of like, there's a lot of women in one space. My mom was a, was an educator and then a stay-at-home mom. And she did all the volunteer things and was in all the classrooms and loved us really well. And I, I never knew a time when I was a kid where I didn't feel loved and seen and valued for who I was. 
I don't know that that meant that I like grew up super secure. I just know that that was true. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of insecurities. Like I think most girls do. I wasn't super confident in some areas, but I don't think that that was because of the way that I was raised because they always spoke truth. They always spoke love. They spoke accountability. <laughs> they spoke all kinds mm-hmm. of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. I love the picture of community and just sort of like an outward facing posture that it mm-hmm. sounds like your parents modeled for you all. And I also love the thought that the world and our own nature and our own sense, like that, that still impacts the way that we view ourselves and that still gets distorted and needs for God to heal. So, yeah, I think about that sometimes when you hear parents, like, I feel like I did everything right. And you're like, and you can, and and that is hopeful. Like we should like focus on loving our kids well, but there's still humans and and independent and they are going to make poor choices. I, was a terrible teenager. I was awful. (laughs) I was not kind to my mom and I wasn't kind to my sisters and I made poor choices. And I distinctly remember being a freshman in college and calling my mom to apologize for 13 to 18. I was like, I am so sorry. I had no idea. Like I got to college and heard about other people's families. And I was like, oh my gosh, I, I'm so sorry. (laughs) She was like, it's okay. We love you anyway. (laughs) Man. But the fact that you did that as a freshman in college, I mean, that's early, I feel like, to it's be apologizing. <laughs> I, it was a lot, it was a lot of a lot of years of roughness. So I remember having a friend who, when her daughter was being gunky, and she was like, she won't even let me hug her. And I was like, oh, I, I don't think I let my mom hug me for years. And I'm great friends with her now. So hold out. There's hope. It'll be okay. <laughs> that is, that's very good to hear. Somebody needed that, Andrea. <laughs> well, I'm glad, glad I could share that. So in the context, I know growing up sometimes in a Christian home, there may not be a moment where you remember deciding to be a Jesus follower. So I'm just wondering, do you have one of those moments? Or if someone asked you, how did you come to faith in Jesus? Mm -hmm. What would you say? I do think that's a great question. I would say in elementary school, I feel like I always knew what we were being taught was true. It was the 80s. There were a lot of like felt board stories and and telling of that. But I do distinctly remember being in middle school and going to church camp. And somebody gave a very, the speaker, I'm sure, gave a very, very scientifically accurate description of crucifixion. And it rocked my world. I was horrified and shocked at what crucifixion did to the body. And it made me have this kind of which I think was probably the speaker's goal. I don't know if that's the take I would do, but this very real reaction of like, okay, God loved me enough to send his son to suffer that way for my choices. Like I, I cannot believe that kind of love. And so I think that was like a pretty pivotal moment. I will also say that our pastor references, the left behind series was definitely (laughs) at that time period. I'm going to say there were probably multiple times that I accepted Christ out of fear, like that I hadn't done it correctly or that I was being like going to be the one like left behind. So I don't know that I had like theologically sound experience, (laughs) but that would be the moment for me that I think the first moment where I would say I made a choice to actively be walking with Jesus. So. Yeah. And just to clarify too, we're not endorsing the left behind. No. In fact, I would say that really. There was a lot, I think you and I talked about this too, there were a lot of things that like being in 90s youth group culture probably shifted in an unhealthy way some of my theology that I had to unlearn. And Mm -hmm. that for sure would have been one of them. (laughs) So yes, yes. endorsement. (laughs) I think that's a natural segue then into your college experience and what you've shared with me. So Andrea, would you 
tell us a little bit about transitioning out of your home and going off to college. Where were you and what was that like in the 90s? Sure. That shift of being like an unhealthy high schooler and not making the best choices shifted for me like December of my senior year. And I I had a friend who looked at me and was like, what are you doing? You're not making great choices. You're not loving your family well. I didn't have great friends through high school. It was not a great experience. Some people loved it. I, I did not. So that shift my senior year, I was really grateful for because that second semester, I spent a lot of time with my family. And I just remember thinking when we were looking at colleges, we started my junior year that I just did not want to be where anybody I went to high school was. So my parents were really great about looking at colleges. We got a map and I, I like drew a radius like outside of Oklahoma. I wanted to be close enough to come home on the weekend and I wanted to be far enough to get a fresh start. And so I applied at several places and we went to go visit colleges. I remember very distinctly stepping on Baylor's campus and maybe for the first time in my life feeling the peacefulness that I re- I recognized was the Lord nudging me that this is where I was supposed to be. I felt relaxed and anchored and just knew like this, this is where I'm supposed to be for the next four years. I knew one person going from Jinx mm-hmm. to Baylor. And that was very uncharacteristic of me to just be like, just going to go on my own and do this thing. And I will say it was just the very best decision for my faith, the very best decision for my relationships. There are girls that I met my freshman year in college on the dorm, Tiffany and Ginger, who are still dear friends. It was also a really sweet time faith-wise. Baylor in the mid to late 90s, Waco in the mid to late 90s, was a really fun faith place to be. I I think I mentioned to you in our phone call the other day, David Crowder and another guy, Chris C, started a church called University Baptist, and it was unlike anything I had ever been to. It was worship with like candles and carpets. It was in this theater thing. It was very emotionally driven, which I think I needed at that point. There were Bible studies on every corner. At Baylor, you could go to so many Bible studies. You could, there were girls offering to be mentors. You and Casey talked about it in her podcast today. I had a super positive sorority experience. I had through being in a sorority, I had girls who were actively pursuing me in faith and mentoring and pushing and challenging. And that was really, honestly, the first time I had seen super healthy female friendships that were my own, not my mom's, not other mm-hmm. people's, but saw friendships that were really like encouraged you to be better. So I think that that's where I started making my faith my own. I think before that, I had a checklist, like if I do these things, then that means I'm a good Christian, or it means that God is good with me or okay with me. And I think that when I went to Baylor, I started shifting in that. Um, I will say, I do think my faith was still contingent on like other people's interpretation of scripture, like reading Bible studies, listening to other teachers. I don't know that I did a ton of digging in on my own. Um, I was very active. I participated. I went to Bible studies. I had a mentor. I did all those things, but I don't know that I was yet in the place where I was really reading and interpreting and owning what that meant in my life. Mm. I think that's such a beautiful point to bring up because, and I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole because I feel ill-equipped to talk about it. (laughs) I think it's a, I think it's a really beautiful point to bring up because of so many people, I think right now, in church world or who grew up in church world that really never have jumped from 
other people's faith, not not just parents, but other people's faith to this is something that I can develop on my own. And perhaps this is just a forming hypothesis that that's where we're seeing a lot of deconstruction in young adults right now. Mm -hmm. I know there's so many layers to it. So, but I just was thinking of that as you're saying it, because it very much resonates with me that in that those early 20s phase where if you've grown up in Christian culture, there's plenty of resources Mm -hmm. at disposal worship, study, teachers, mentors, pastors, it's all there. But at the end of the day, when you're out in the real world, your faith really has to become your own. It's like Mm -hmm. you're graduating from parents' faith to other people's faith to eventually it has to be mine. Yeah. I think what I keep thinking about is just an anchor that scripture where it talks about being an anchor for your soul. And I just think that that's, if it's not your own, then when things get hard and when things get tussled about, you don't have anything to anchor you back because you're relying on someone else's interpretation or experience or their heart. And I am so grateful for those resources. I am so grateful for that. I think it would be really hard to do community and hard to grow in that. But I also think there comes a time where you have to really do the looking and the digging and the like, what does this mean for me? Like, what does this mean in my own story kind of part? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Andrea, what did life look like after college? You were coming out of a season with just really rich friendship, rich community. What was it like after you graduated and what did you do? I think that is something that people don't talk often enough about. I think those first few years out of college are really hard, really, really hard. And I think Mm -hmm. nobody talks about it. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I remember interviewing for jobs. I didn't know that I wanted to be a teacher at that time. I changed my major a few different times. I had friends who thought they were going to land in Dallas. I had other friends who thought they were going to land in Austin. I got a job with the Make-A-Wish Foundation doing fundraising and landed in Dallas and everyone that was a good friend of mine landed somewhere else. And I remember being horrified. Like I was in a city I'd never lived in. This is going to date me, but it was pre-maps on your phone. And so I Mm -hmm. distinctly remember being like, I'm going to get lost and never find my way home. Like I'm never (laughs) going to find my way back to my apartment. It was hard. It was lonely. I remember being like, I need to find a church. Like I need to find somewhere. And luckily there were really great churches and there were people I knew from college there, but it definitely wasn't what I thought it was going to be. I went to college under the assumption that I would also fall in love and get married and, and walk out of not get married in college, but start that season of my life. And I didn't. And so I walked from having really deep, rich community. That's like at your fingertips. I mean, if there weren't the first five people you wanted to hang out with, there was a whole college campus full of them Mm -hmm. to a pretty lonely season. And I lived in Dallas for a little while and then I came back to Tulsa. And so it was a lonely season. And I remember thinking that I did a lot of like identifying myself around what I didn't have. Like, oh, I don't have a spouse or I don't have a family or I don't have a job that I love and can really anchor into that. I felt really really lost. And when I came back to Tulsa, I remember thinking, I need to choose to live the life I have, not the life I want, which felt really profound in the moment. Looking back, you're like, well, of course you need to live the life you have, not just the one you want. But I, for me, that was an active choice. Get busy doing life instead of waiting for life. And so that looked like when I got back to Tulsa, getting involved with Young Life again, I had been on 
a Young Life kid. I had been on Young Life staff for a couple of years right out of college before I started teaching Young Life as a ministry to high school kids. And so I ended up volunteering not as a leader, but as somebody helping train. I said yes to working at our family camp, Trail West, which is in Buena Vista, Colorado. I did five summer sessions, which would be like going out for all of June and working with a team to do family camp. And I was in charge of the kids programming. My spiritual gifts really do lie around administration and organization more than even just the like hands-on ministry part. And so by, by shifting my mindset and saying yes, it opened up opportunities like that. Like I got to do five summers in Colorado. And a couple of different times I got to do it with my sisters, Cheryl and Jennifer also got to say yes to that. I remember thinking that there wasn't a place really in the church for singles who weren't like 22. And so I found a lot of community with other Young Life leaders and then also just some girls we all knew from Tulsa. And we we're like, let's be in a Bible study together. Let's make this happen. And that kind of bridged my late 20s to early 30s finding places where I could grow. And I I genuinely hate to say like, but it wasn't the church. I was faithful Mm. to go to church. I was faithful to attend. I tried small groups, but there wasn't a place. And I feel like that's an area of growth (laughs) that the church has, or at least in my experience had for someone who's single and not looking for like a singles group, because there were those but mm-hmm. just looking for true community. And that may have gotten better in some places, but it was definitely a, a hole and a challenge for me. It did, but it also meant that I like looked for other places to put my time. And that's where my involvement with Young Life and other ministries came in. Mm-hmm. That's so good because I love how you're highlighting the things about singleness that were really good and really sweet. Mm-hmm. Your ability to have some adventure. Yeah. You were your schedule's a bit more adaptable. But then also the things that were hard. You said yesterday, like people would always say to me, Oh, you have so much time. Mm-hmm. But yet in your mind you're like, Well, I do, but also I have to do all of this myself. And yeah. that I, that stuck with me when you said that, like, oh yeah. There's I a lot to that, that. I think that there are I didn't get married till I was 36, almost 37. And I think there were lots of well-intentioned adults in my life, Christian adults, who thought they were being encouraging when they would say things. And really, it ended up having like a lot of hurt associated with it because people would say things like, well, God is still working on you or God is still preparing you. And I just always remember thinking, but like, I have married friends who are super dysfunctional. So like, he's not still working on them. He's not still preparing them. I remember thinking that people's encouragement should have been, hey, I don't know why this is your story, but keep chasing after God. Like, I Mm. wish that those had been the words. Because like what I did hear for a while is you're not good enough. I mean, that's not what people were saying, but that was what I felt like was communicated. And I think can kind of make single people in the church feel lonely and isolated. I think I said it yesterday. I I realized in that season that I really needed to stop finding my identity in what I did or did not have and who I was as a child of God. That shifted it for me, which was super helpful. I'm not going to say it wasn't lonely and hard. <laughs> I remember having a friend who sat down and he was like, he and his wife were like, what what is keeping you from making big choices? Go on the trip, buy the house, do the thing. And I was like in this season of just waiting. And then I was like, you're right. I might be single forever. So do I, do I step out in obedience, scary, buy a house by yourself and then hope for the best (laughs) or 
do I just have myself on this eternal pause? So I was grateful for people who were speaking truth to me mm-hmm. in a loving way. And I thought about this today. I, I really want to encourage married friends, whether they have kids or not, keep inviting your single friends places. The sweetest mm-hmm. thing my friends did for me, like I think of Anna and Evan Gundy, they are dear friends of ours. And they just kept inviting, like they invited a, in, like a part of their life, like their kids' birthday parties and different things. Let the the single parent person or the married with no kids person make the choice about whether or not they can handle that or want to be a part of it. But always invite. Like that's, that helped me have community that didn't just look like my season of life. Like I had friends who were married, married with kids, and they just kept asking me to be a part. And that made a difference. Hmm. I'm so glad you said that. And you really answered the question I was going to ask. What advice would you give to people not in that season? Or what would you do now as a married woman? What would your posture be toward single folks that are older than 25. Um, I think about the choices that you make that are countercultural. Like I'm going to choose to live single life differently than other people. Like I wasn't at bars. I wasn't dating around a ton. I did date some. It just never like worked out quite right. But I do remember thinking like I'm making active choices to do, to do this differently because I want to honor, I want to honor the story that God has given me to tell And I want to honor the commitment that I've made to whether I have a future spouse or not. Those are the, I want to live my life in a way that I can honestly look at the Lord and say, okay, I didn't get it perfect, but I tried really hard to honor you in my choices. Mm, Yeah. That's really, really good wisdom. I hope somebody is listening, but I know they are really. Yeah. That's just really good wisdom, Andrea. Thank you. Okay. So tell us how you met Patrick. You said you're married. So tell tell us the story of meeting Patrick and let's get into this next decade of your life. So I I laugh about this because the year that Patrick and I met was one of the hardest years of my life because all of the sweet people I had been doing single life with got engaged and married within one year. So my sister, yeah. So my sister Cheryl got engaged on Christmas Eve. My friend Meg, who even though she lived in Texas, we were still doing single life together. She got engaged in March. Cheryl got married in May. Meg got married in July. Jennifer and Rhett got engaged in September and married in November. And all I could think of was that Friends episode where Rachel and Phoebe are like, we're like a little bit like mostly happy and a little bit jealous. And <laughs> like, it was, I really do remember that being like this just overwhelming joy that the Lord had answered that prayer in their life. And it's also like, oh my gosh, it was like wave after wave of just really challenging to be fully present in like celebrating them and loving them. And I love their husbands. And I'm, I was so grateful for those answered prayers, but also just to be like, wow, I'm like in this alone. And this is what it's looking like. Like, this is what it's looking Mm -hmm. like. And I remember talking about always just keeping an eye out for your single friends. Anna and Evan lived, we actually lived um, in the same neighborhood over at 15th and Yale. I love that little neighborhood. They lived a few streets streets over. And I just remember sitting on their couch one day being like, I don't know how I'm going to make it through like this season because it's like, you want to be so present for the people, but also mourning like what I thought, okay, I, this is what my life looks like and it's going to be fine. It'll be great. But 
Anyway, so as the Lord would have it, and I don't think this is a, a situation of like when you just surrender and let it go, then it happens. I, I don't mm-hmm. love that advice for <laughs> single people. Right, right. I don't love the formulaic nature if you'll just let go, it'll happen. I, for me, it was a friend that I worked with, Katrina. She's my boss now. I love her. She, she and I worked together and she was like, hey, there's a guy that my husband, Mike, works with and we think that you guys would be a good fit. And so... They had us over to dinner. Jennifer and Rhett got married in mid-November, and this was like November 30th. And we met and just had a lot of fun together. He is a musician. People who go to Cornerstone will know mm-hmm. I often, often always sit by myself with my <laughs> niece and um, her husband because Patrick is behind the drums or the piano or in the sound booth. His favorite and best way to serve is with the worship team. And I am mm. like not music at all, musical at all. At all. I mean, he plays three instruments, maybe more. And I just, we really connected on this kind of creative side. I am not a great artist, but I love creative things. And so there was a fun rhythm of both being creative people who also were both kind of like, you know, structured people with regular lives. Like he always <laughs> says, like, I chose, he chose to stop doing the musical things that kept him out till two or three in the morning because he's like, I have a, a business job, like I'm a business man. And so there was like a, a really, really sweet season of getting to know each other and unpacking what that looked like in your mid to late thirties. I I laugh. I'm in the season of life where I have friends my age who are grandmas, like just new grandmas. Oh my goodness. I know, like because they got married when they were 22 and then they had babies when they were 23 and now their 22-year-olds are having babies oh. and friends with four-year-olds. Like I've that is the range of my life and it's really, really sweet to be in that because it makes us all feel younger and older at different times. <laughs> but my friends who got married like right out of college, we talk all the time about how they had to become grown-ups together. Like figure out budgeting, like figure out finances. And when you get married as an older adult, you are combining two distinct (laughs) lives, finances, communication, family, how you spend your time. I mean, I, for the most part, had not been accountable to anyone. And I say that in the most like honoring way for how I was spending my money or my time in 15 years. And so it definitely had some uniqueness to like figuring that out, but also really fun because you also like adults, you have different communication skills. You're like, oh, well, here's what we need to do. And here's how we figure it out. So we got married and it's been really a fun adventure. So I, I think that when I think about where the Lord has brought us, I think about just I wouldn't say that married life is any easier than single life. I would say that Mm. they're just different. Mm. I think that in single life, there were ways where I had to work really hard to honor the Lord and my choices. And I think in married life, there are ways that I have to work really hard to honor my choices, like with the Lord too, Mm -hmm. and how you react and respond to someone. And so I just think it's a different, I don't think one is more or less God honoring. I think that there is like room for that in any season of life that you're in. I just think that it's about asking the Lord, like, what does it look like to be obedient to you in this season, in this moment, whether it is being a mom of littles or being a mom of college kids or being married with no kids or being single, what does it look like to honor God in the season I'm in? Mm. And when I think about the most recent season of my life, I think 
it was probably right around when I turned 40. I don't remember when that was, a little while ago. (laughs) But I remember the Lord really nudging me to say, it's time for you to dive into scripture like on your own, not Mm. a Bible study, not reading a book, not listening to a podcast. And I realized that short of taking Old and New Testament in college, which you had to do at Baylor, I had not, I had never read the Bible chronologically. I had never read the whole Bible. And it was in 2019, 2018 that I felt that nudging. And then in 2019, Tara Lee Cobble started the Bible recap. And mm-hmm. I had somebody who was like, we should do this. I said, okay. And that single practice shifted everything for me in the way that I read and interact with the word. I did not know that I could do that. <laughs> One, mm. read the whole Bible. Two, do it in a year. I think rhythms are really important. I'm an early morning person. We talked about that. So I made the commitment to get up early and make my cup of tea and sit with the Bible and read it. And one of the things that I feel like she did really well is that she said, we need to be looking for what, who got like God's character, not for ourselves in scripture. Like, what does he love? What does he hate? What is he telling us? And that again, like, and I don't know if that was growing up in Christian church culture, but like, I think I'd been looking for myself in scripture all along. Like, what does this passage have to say to me? What does this passage say about my life? Like, what does this say about what I should or shouldn't do. And this shifted it. And I learned so much about God's character. I learned so much about the thread of redemption that was woven Mm -hmm. in from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. It's challenging to read all of scripture. It's challenging to read about the really hard things that happened in the old Testament and wrestle with it. But I was glad that I did. And so I did that in 2019 and I was in a small group with some girls and I, I couldn't help but to keep bringing it up. Like, you guys, this thing that I'm doing is like <laughs> everything we would talk about. I was like, I, I learned about that in the Bible recap because her little recaps also give you history and background, things that you maybe didn't know. And it's all like in bite-sized chunks. And mm-hmm. so I invited a couple of them to do it with me the next year in 2020. And gosh, we didn't know at the time <laughs> that we would need that so desperately, but we did. And the way that the Bible app has it set up, you can comment what you've learned at the bottom of each day's reading. And so it was active community with women who were reading the Bible together, but were not in the same place. It didn't matter if I did it at 5 a.m. and Kylie did it at 9 p.m. When you logged in the next time, you could see what someone else had written about like what the Lord was showing them. And it was an anchor, gosh, through that year and really fun to get to do it with other people. And I I was just Marcoing with Kylie today She is in Texas now, and she is sharing tonight at her women's group about the Bible recap and the difference it made in her life. And she'll say that it it changed the way that she walked with Jesus. And over the years, she's invited dozens and dozens of people. And I think they've got like 25 women from their church doing it all together. So Mm. I think about when you talked about small steps of obedience, like Tara Lee Cobble's yes in saying to the Lord, I should do this. And my yes in saying when a friend asked if we wanted to do it, saying yes, and that consistency of getting up and doing it. And then I like the prompting to invite other people to do it, even though that's a little bit uncomfortable for me. I love what you said about reframing how you interact with scripture as what does this have to say about who God is and not about what answers am I getting from God about my own life? It it's just flips a pattern on its head, and it is transformative. When you think about the future, since we've looked backward on the past few decades, when you think about the future, what do you hope for? That is such a great question. And I think that I used to 
kind of ignore thinking about the future (laughs) because my story does not look anything like what I thought it would. So thinking about the future had not really played out at all. But I think what I want is to continue being a person who people see as faithful and reliable and somebody that they can call. I want to live a life where I feel like in our choices, we're honoring the Lord. I want to be a great aunt and a good friend Mm. and a really good employee slash coworker slash person who people feel like they can come to. And so when I think about the future, I want my focus to be narrow Mm. for for impact. I want to say, when I say yes to something, I want to be able to give it its full, I don't know, honor not being like frayed at the edges all the time. I've got actually dinner with my apprentice group tonight, which is so fun. I lead an apprentice group of, I think when Madison was speaking at church, she said multi-generational. And I think that is what we are defined as, but it cracks me up because like, I am the tail end of that. It is people in their late twenties, thirties and forties. And I was like, Oh, Oh, we are multi-generational and I'm wrapping up the, the older end of that. But it's really sweet. It's really sweet to be a part of a group of women, some single, some married, some divorced, some who have kids, some who don't, who gather together. And I feel like it's a really sweet thing that the Lord has done that I feel like I've got a spot at Cornerstone for mm-hmm. women who were like me yes. and are like me. Like I want to be able to gather together in in a way that honors different seasons of life. I don't think that really answered your question, but that's, that's where I, I loved it. I loved it. You said narrow for impact. And I'm just tucking that away in my brain to think about later because the, I, I want that too. I, I think looking at your story, that just totally makes sense too. That like that God's the way we've done it, the way we've looked back at the last few decades to say like, okay, now God take this and continue this obedience, continue this faithfulness and use the maturity that you've worked out in me for impact. And yeah. I think that's beautiful. And that is what God is doing in your life, Andrea. So I've heard from women who know you and who have been mentored by you or who are part of that apprentice group that it's significant to them that they have a seat at the table. Yeah. So, okay. I want to ask you one fun thing. This has all been fun. Yeah. I'll say it again. I'm going to ask you something a little bit lighter. And that is, okay, there's two questions. You can pick the one you want to answer. Either something that made you laugh this week, or you said you like to learn, what's something lighthearted and fun that you're learning just for the sake of learning? I will go with lighthearted and fun because I, so this is not lighthearted or fun, but my niece Ella broke her femur <laughs> over Christmas oh, in a oh my very dramatic skiing accident, like oh. flown to Colorado Springs for surgery, the whole thing. But anyway, she's kind of bored right now. And she and I are like little kindred spirits because she likes to say like, we're both creative and messy and disorganized. And so we have been getting her like artsy projects to do while she is immobile. And, Mm -hmm. um, my sister Jennifer and her kids have sent her some things and I sent her this weaving kit. Anyway, she wanted to FaceTime me. She and my niece Finley are at a really fun age where they want to text us and FaceTime us from their parents' phone and just talk with (laughs) us. I like love it so much and they want to like FaceTime each other and it's really cute. So she was trying to FaceTime me because she wanted to show me what she had done. And so I was in the shower and I got this text and it was like, I saw like three missed FaceTime calls and then a text like, and Andrea, I'm trying to FaceTime you. And I just, it like just made me giggle because it was so well-intentioned. So I FaceTime her back and I don't know how my niece Lydia did it, 
But she saw that Ella and I were FaceTiming and she went and got Cheryl's iPad and joined our FaceTime call and was Aww. like, I didn't know you could do that, like from the same device, but you can. Yeah. And so she was just cracking herself up and we were all just giggling because it was so funny. It doesn't seem funny now, but like just that she figured out how to interrupt our call and be a part of it because she just wanted to be a part. And so we just giggled and laughed and they are... My nieces and nephews, both the adult ones and the small ones, are just a source of constant joy. That's awesome. Man, the world needs good ants. I am a big fan of really good ants. And, you know, that's really near and dear and special to me because that's the ant that I want to be. I have a niece. I have a nephew. I love them very, very much. And, yeah, it's just super, super important. Yeah. It's a sweet thing. To, it's a sweet thing to get to have that role in that relationship and be a person that they can see as theirs. Mom and dad are amazing, but to also have another adult who loves them that they can see as theirs. So. Yes. Yes. Andrea, thank you so much for sharing your story and thank you for saying yes to being vulnerable and it was totally worth it. This is a beautiful story. God's done a good work in you and I'm really grateful to know you. No, oh, well, thank you so much. I am grateful to know you and grateful for the opportunity to reflect back. I don't know that people do that. I don't know that you sit and really think about what the Lord has done. And it was fun um, and challenging to sit and look at the last 46 years and say, how has the Lord moved in that time in my life? And so I'm grateful for the ask that prompted me to do the reflecting. Thanks, Emily. Yay. Yay. Hey, thanks for tuning in to my conversation with Andrea. If you would like to hear more stories like that, more reflections of people remembering and telling the work of God in their lives, you can head to wehavethishope.substack.com. We've got all our old interviews, all our old stories, and that's also where if you subscribe, you will find resources to help you remember and tell your own stories, and you make sure to never miss an episode. We've got another one coming out in two weeks. It's a conversation with author Kristen LaValle, and we're talking about her book, Even If He Doesn't, that'll be available in just a couple of weeks. With that, thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.